all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning. You're listening to Southern Remedy Health and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that I know everyone has heard lots about, lots about, but I would not be doing my job as a preventive medicine provider if I did not talk about the um, current state of COVID as well as the Delta variant. It is uh, prominent everywhere you look in headlines and media as well as just casual group conversation. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There are a lot of people who are genuinely confused about things. And my promise has always been to you guys to bring you the um, evidence-based answers to questions. And so that's what we will do today. Um, If I do not know the answer, then I will always tell you I do not know the answer, but I will try to find it for you. Um, So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can always send us an email. It's fit at mpbonline.org. Um, or you can, um, and you can do those emails anytime, guys, anytime. Uh, we don't have to be on the air for that. And then you can always go over to social media, to Facebook, and go to Healthy Habits with Josie and um, leave me a message there or send that through private messenger if if that's what you're more comfortable doing. Hey, Josie? Yeah. Uh, I've got a food-related question for you. Oh, well, that, you know, that's my jam. So throw that one at me. Uh, I think you might have seen on Facebook, I did a little uh, meatless uh, meal the other day where I had some brown rice, some broccoli, some carrots, and some shelled edamame, which yeah. I guess are soybeans. I'm not sure what they yeah, are. they oh, are. Okay. Uh, first of all, I would say I need to work on my uh, one thing relative to the other in terms of the dish or whatever. I think I might have <laughs> tried to stuff too much stuff in there. Uh, my mm-hmm. other thing is, it could have used a little bit of a flavor punch-up. So what are some good mm-hmm. things to add to a meal like that that'll kind of uh, kick up the flavor some? That's a great question. And I was really proud of your um, your meal. It got my, my seal of approval um, on that because it had all the kind of groups that we're looking at, right? We want um, fruits or veggies or both, right? And you had lots of veggies there with your carrots and your broccoli. We want whole grains. So there was your brown rice. And then we want protein and you had edamame, which as you mentioned, are soybeans, which are a great 
um, source of plant-based protein. And so now we also want to flavor things so that they taste good and people want to eat healthy. And so those uh, ingredients that you mentioned there lean very heavily toward um, an Asian influence, right? That's typically what we think about when we think about edamame and and, and those kind of uh, uh, rice bowl type dishes. And so the spices would then go with things like ginger and garlic and scallions and soy sauce. Yes, that's a little higher in sodium than we would, you know, want to go super heavy on. But you could do a, a low sodium variety of that and kind of make your own kind of stir fry sauce to, to toss with that. You could do a little bit of um, reduced sugar teriyaki sauce would be another really great addition uh, in there as well. Um, so lots of different ways that you could, could go with that. And you can swap out the veggies um, to completely change the flavor profile of that, right? You could pull out the edamame and throw in black beans and swap out the broccoli and carrots for maybe corn and zucchini and then you'd be able to add some Tex-Mex flavors into there and make it more of a burrito type bowl. So that's a great way to batch cook ingredients, right? Cook a bunch of brown rice at one time, cook a bunch of veggies at one time, and then just change up the seasonings on it um, to be able to get, you know, different meals during the week. So that's a really, that's a good meal and a great question. That, that help you out some? Uh, absolutely. You uh, made me, my next one's going to be with the uh, zucchini and the black beans uh, and the corn. Well, zucchini is growing out people's ears right now. So it's a good time to try and, and use that up. That yellow squash as well would be another really good um, addition into that bowl. And you could top it with some salsa um, for a you know, really locale uh, way to punch up that flavor there. And guys, if you have questions like Kevin had for me, food related questions, nutrition, health and wellness, you're free to send those in or give us a call with those today as well. Um, I'm going to start to tackle some of the most common questions that I get asked about COVID right now, um, but feel free to jump in at any point. Uh, so I think the best place for us to kind of start with that discussion is the word variant, what that means, because you know, these types of, of words and terminologies that we're seeing you know, very, very frequently these days are things that healthcare providers and scientists are very familiar with, but the general public, you know, has not been around this type of thing for, for long. And these words come out and we just expect everybody to understand what the heck it is we're talking about. And so when we're talking about viruses and viral variants, we're talking about mutations, okay? So how do those mutations happen? Well, as a virus replicates as it reproduces itself there's the chance for a mistake to happen in that or a change to happen in that and that's a mutation and not all mutations lead to you know necessarily an appreciable change in um, in the virus right there could be little small mutations that don't really change uh, how the virus is transmitted or how infectious it is or any of those different kinds of things but some of the mutations do, and they produce a big enough change in, in the virus that it changes um, the transmissibility of it, you know, how contagious it is, and then how severe the actual disease course is. Sometimes mutations occur and it makes the virus weaker and the, the virus will kind of, you know, the fire will burn out with it. 
but that's not what we're seeing right now. We're seeing um, mutations that are making it easier to catch and sicker when you get it. And so the way I like to think about um, mutations and how we decrease the chance of them happening is a little thought about how we just slow the spread of things, right? So if I gave you a sentence to write, right, maybe it, you know, think back to if you ever got in trouble in school and they gave you a sentence to write, like, I will not cheat off my neighbor's paper. And they gave you the whole class period to write that down 10 times. Each one of those sentences probably looked pretty doggone similar to the sentence before that, right? But if I asked you to write that same sentence down 10 times in the span of a minute, right, the first sentence and the last sentence are not going to look the same, right? That last sentence is going to kind of be squished over to one half of the paper and the words are going to be sloppier. Uh, It's just not going to look the same. And so the faster a virus is spreading throughout the community, the, the less likely they are to all stay the same, right? The greater the chance of a mutation to occur. And so right now we've been relatively lucky, even though Delta is very not good, it's very bad. um, We're still seeing good coverage with the commercially available vaccines that we have. And when I say good coverage, I'm not just talking about prevention of infection and even prevention of symptoms, I'm talking about prevention of severe disease, meaning hospitalization, um, ICU utilization, and death. We're still seeing very, very good um, control of those things with the commercially available vaccines. Um, what, you know, what I'm more afraid of is as it continues to spread kind of unchecked right now, because it is it's spreading rapidly, as that we will get a mutation that you know, kind of evades the coverage of that vaccine. So we've really got to do as much as we can to just slow this sucker down a little bit um, so that we don't give it as many chances to mutate. And there's nothing, you know, different about how we do that um, than with the other variants, right? And so the other variants that we've kind of dealt with over the past half a year, seven months or so, alpha variant which, um, you know, these used to kind of be named after the, the country that they were kind of first identified in. Um, so the alpha variant um, is what historically we would have called the UK variant. And that was kind of first on scene in about December of 2020. Beta uh, variant is what was previously known as the South African variant. Um, that's about January 2021. Gamma, which we didn't hear a ton about, um, but that was the Brazil um, variant. Um, that was January 2021 as well. And then Delta, uh, which has uh, previously been known as the uh, India variant, has been around since about uh, March 2021, circulating um, here in the States. And so um, we, we, don't, we don't want to you know, get another variant that is um, that, that escapes the, the protection of our vaccine from protecting against the most severe forms of COVID. So mitigation strategies, right? Their mitigation means slowing down or stopping something, right? So social distancing, which I know everybody's tired of hearing that word, 
Uh, I'm just as tired of hearing it, but it is important, right? So we want to not bunch up all over each other, right? If we are indoors, we want to stay six feet away from each other. Um, masking, as much as people don't like it, um, masking is still a very, very important strategy. The more people that are masked, the greater the decrease of transmission, right? Um, hand washing, so keeping some of that hand sanitizer in your pocket, in your car, those different kinds of places. Soap and water is always going to be your, your best, but sanitizers are a great um, backup there. Um, cough etiquette, right? So if you do have to cough or sneeze or any of those kinds of things, and especially if you're not wearing a mask, you know, cough into a sneeze, uh, cough into a sneeze, <laughs> cough into a, um, a tissue or your elbow or something like that. Don't just cough out into the regular air. Um, and then vaccination, right? If you are eligible for a vaccine, um, please consider doing so. Um, I'm happy to answer questions about that as well. You know, there are people who have been on board for vaccines since the, you know, since the beginning. There are folks who are very much against the vaccines. And then there's a big old chunk of folks who are just hesitant, right? And, you know, I would love to help clear up anything that is, you know, help keeping you in that hesitant category so that you're able to make an evidence-based decision about what's right um, for your health and your family's health there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Joseph Goodwill, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And today we're talking um, about health and wellness, but framing it around the context of the current situation related to COVID, in particular the Delta variant. If you have a question for us, anything health or wellness related, I'm happy to take that today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. And my Facebook is Healthy Habits with Josie. You're always free to drop me your questions there. Uh, Josie? Fourth, yeah. We do have a caller on the line. So we're going to say right. good morning to David in Biloxi. All right. All right, David, what can I do for you today? Uh, yes, how are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, good. Uh, I was just calling. I was curious, like people who have maybe rare genetic diseases or something, should they be concerned about 
taken the vaccine, like for instance, uh, Huntington's disease, or I don't, I don't know other ones, but where it's a genetic disease and then, you know, you take the vaccine or should you not take the vaccine? Right. That's an excellent question. And it highlights the, the point that, and the fact that there are people who are not able to get vaccinated, right? That there are, um, you know, groups of folks who it would be contraindicated for, for them to get a vaccine. It's a, a lower number than, than people would think, but there, that is true. There are people that are not able to get it. And so that is best done with kind of a one-on-one conversation with the geneticist or the neurologist that is treating that particular disease, because it's going to depend on um, what medicines you may be on, if there's any interaction with anything from that perspective. Um, but most conditions are not going to be an automatic um, disqualification from, from getting the vaccine. But that highlights the reason why it's so important for folks who don't have a medical or religious reason to not get the vaccine, if they're eligible um, to, to do so, so that we can protect, you know, add an extra layer of protection around those folks who may not be able to get it from a, you know, from a medical reason. Are there a list of diseases that you're aware of that you can let the listeners know about where they should I'm- avoid getting the vaccine? Yeah, I have not um, seen any produced list from that. Um, you know, usually lists that are going to get put out are going to be from a, a kind of umbrella term in terms of public health. And then there are going to be these little niche diseases and, and different things that are going to require a little bit more risk-benefit ratio discussion um, with the healthcare provider. So I have not seen any list that says these are directly contraindicated um, to receiving the vaccine. All right. Well, thank you very much, and have a great day. Thank you for the call and the question. You have a great day as well. Josie, got a couple more yep. callers to get to. Let's uh, start right. again on the phones this time. We'll welcome Becky calling in from Jackson. All right. Good morning, Becky. What can we do for you today? Well, good morning. Thank you um, for uh, explaining the different variants. Um, I think welcome. a lot of people are confused when they say Delta, Gamma, Alpha, whatever the variant mm-hmm. is. Yes. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a stage four metastatic cancer patient. And unfortunately, uh, my husband, who was a physician here, died the day after he got his shot in January. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. But, which, but it scares me, you know. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I made an appointment, made an appointment, and then I canceled it. And finally, mm-hmm. I went. Because the only way that we can get a handle on this is to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And so I've had my two, and then I'm going to be getting my booster just as soon as I can. But Mm -hmm. um, I just, what I was going to ask you is I have a friend who got COVID, and they Mm -hmm. went up to the Delta. And because there were no um, hospital rooms at the time when they had COVID, they got the monoclonal antibody treatment. Mm -hmm. was that um, was that antibody treatment only for the specific variant that they had, or would that protect them against the Delta variant? Or do you know? Yeah, so it, it's not. It's so when we talk about monoclonal antibody infusions, there have been several that have been um, kind of put out by, under the emergency use authorization for that. Um, it is kind of some specific criteria that folks meet uh, for that, and it's usually um, they're infected with COVID. They are within 10 days of symptom onset. 
Um, they're right. higher, higher risk for progressing to severe disease. Um, you know, some of those things that we know, heart disease, diabetes, immunocompromised, that kind of stuff, um, and right. are um, not currently hospitalized, right? So they're part of the, the outpatient um, treatment regimen for that. Some of the kind of original ones that were used don't have as great of a coverage for the Delta variant in particular. And so that EUA has been kind of walked back a little bit, didn't mean, and, and I think people, when they hear that EUAs have been removed, they think, oh, well, it meant it didn't work. No, we just pulled that emergency use authorization because it's not going to cover this new new variant. So we need to, to adjust strategies to, to better cover that. And there are a couple combo um, monoclonal antibodies that are out there, and the, the combo of those two together provide better coverage for that. Um, okay. So, you know, it's even, when did you say she had it? Um, she okay. had it in the beginning, like, um, I would say oh. it was or April, May. It was probably May or May. Or May. Of last year? Yeah. Or of this year. Last year in 2020? Yeah. So, you know, I would still consider them to be at risk for, for Delta um, just because we're, we're seeing kind of past infection with, you know, probably the alpha strain. Well, not even alpha if she was May in 2020. The original strain of, of covid um, people are, are still getting Delta. So I would okay. not, I would not discontinue my mitigation strategies, you know, still okay. masking and, and social distancing now, and all those kinds now, of things. So is it too, okay, once somebody has had COVID and of mm -hmm. course when you have it, then you develop some antibodies against Correct. it. Are you able to still get the, um, I mean, do you, in your opinion, do you mm -hmm. still get the uh, shot, the vaccine? If you've had COVID, yes. So now if you received convalescent plasma or monoclonal antibodies, you do need to wait 90 days from whenever that was administered to get the vaccine. But okay. if you just regular old had COVID and you did not get any of those products and you have recovered from that, it is completely appropriate to go ahead and schedule that um, visit for the vaccine if you're able. I, I think those are some of the questions people are asking mm -hmm. and also so um, the booster is—is mm -hmm. um, is everybody um, okay for the booster that have, that have had their shots, or is Johnson and Johnson not okay with the booster? Well, we're still waiting on information about Johnson and Johnson, so I don't okay. have a, a ton of information for you there. I'm patiently okay. awaiting for them to to kind of give us some guidance about what to do with Johnson and Johnson. Um, with the other ones. Um, what the Mississippi State Department of Health has put out is if you're um, high risk, like if you have an immune deficiency where you might not make antibodies as well, if you're right. on, you know, immune suppressant drugs like chemotherapy or some of the medicines that we use for rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's and those kinds of, of things, if mm -hmm. you're over 65, we know that folks don't make uh, as many antibodies to things just in general because our immune system declines. Um, and, um, you know, if you have things like chronic kidney disease and that kind of stuff, you, you may be appropriate for a booster. Um, there's not a kind of a widespread process for us to get that done currently. That, again, is more of a like an individual provider discussion. Um, okay. testing, testing for antibodies, which can be done uh, in the office to see if you, you know, if you have a good layer of protection from an antibody standpoint and then arranging um, the booster 
um, okay. to, to be done. And it's usually going to be with Pfizer, um, or I think okay. Pfizer is the one they're recommending right now, but Moderna yep. as well, probably. Yep. And I'm on, and I got both Pfizer, but I'm on mm-hmm. the iBrands and the Fosfodex, which is a, mm-hmm. one is an, I, uh, uh, an AI, and one is a, um, uh, is a, uh, what do you call it? Harm- one is hormonal treatment. Right. And then the one is um, the CDK4 and 6 inhibitor. So right. I'm not excluded. I mean, I wouldn't put myself in the, even though I have cancer, I wouldn't put myself in the suppressed category, you know, just because I have cancer. And I've talked, I think everybody needs to talk to their doctor about that. But I think getting the vaccine, even though Ben passed away after he had an underlying heart problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was something that should have been taken care of that we didn't know. And so he had a heart attack. Well, that wasn't linked really to the vaccine so people don't need to be scared they need to get out there and get their vaccines and go ahead and put the mask and wash their hands and do everything you know all the mitigators that you said to do and I really mm-hmm. appreciate you coming on because I think people are quest- are scratching their heads and they're like okay yeah. what do we do now and I think your advice was really exemplary thank you for being there and for saying that well I appreciate that and and we need to hear that because <laughs> we're tired <laughs> And so I appreciate you, um, your call today. Thank you so much for that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bedwell, nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And we've been talking about COVID and in particular questions about the Delta variant and um, the currently available vaccines. We're happy to take your calls today. Our number is one mpb ring We do have a couple callers on the line that I want to get to. They've been patiently waiting for us. Um, I believe we're going with Donna. Good morning, Donna. Hi. Hi. Am I on the air? You are on the air, my dear. What can I do for you? Well, thank you for taking my call. I've got a daughter in a northern state that's four months pregnant due January 7th, and I recently found out that neither her or her husband have been vaccinated, Mm. and I'm extremely worried. Mm -hmm. Yes, so vaccination is recommended uh, by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology as well as the Society for Reproductive Medicine 
um, and you know, fertility. And so it is it is advisable and recommended um, for those groups. Um, you know, there has a lot been a lot of hesitancy in that, and I think that that's completely appropriate um, for mamas to be you know concerned and wanting the information. Um, but you know, it has been shown to be safe and very very effective. And we do know that pregnant folks who get COVID do have a significantly increased chance of having a more severe outcome um, from that requiring hospitalization, ICU, and even death. Is there a particular time that's uh, better or worse to get the vaccine, like seen out in the first trimester? I've given it, we've given it to folks who were trying to conceive, folks who had just conceived, and folks who were later on in pregnancy. Um, So I'm, I'm not familiar with any specific timing restrictions that they have put on anything. Um, I know the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, which is ACOG, um, put out a position statement earlier this week. Um, so that probably would have a little bit more you know, detailed information in there from it. Um, but to my knowledge, there's not any restriction about when that would occur. Well, I thank you very much for taking my call. I'll uh, text her about this, and hopefully something will change and they will um, decide that it's important to get the vaccine. Well, you know, my recommendation for that would be just encourage her to talk to her personal OBGYN, right? Because their job is to keep mama and baby healthy. And so, you know, I think that most mamas will will trust their OBGYN to kind of lay out the evidence for them and walk them through that because they've got such a trusted uh, patient-provider relationship there. So that's probably what I'd be like, have you talked with your, your doc about it? What are they saying? You know, those kinds of things. Well, I appreciate that fact. And besides that fact, I just thought that after we had this text war going on last week that the baby, um, and they recently found out it's a boy, is going to have to start getting their shots at about, what, seven weeks or something like that. That might have been what what I uh, started at with my kids, about those seven weeks for their shots when the baby is born. Yeah, so they, they get shot, multiple sets of shots during that first year of life. And, you know, those are going to be for things like um, hepatitis B, which they will probably get their first dose at birth. Most hospitals do that. Then things like uh, Haemophilus influenza B and uh, the pneumonia vaccines. And then as they progress throughout the first year, um, MMR, varicella, um, those kinds of things. So they, they get lots of stuff that first year of life there, but, you know, we're lucky to be able to, um, you know, have vaccines that have been so well um, documented and proven over to oh, eliminate some of these that. diseases. Yeah. I don't think uh, she's even aware of the fact that the baby's going to have to start getting vaccines, um, you know, when they're, um, you know, past uh, about seven weeks or that's about the time that, you know, I took my kids to three of them to get vaccines. But I hope this helps any of the other listeners that might have a pregnant daughter or close kinfolk that might be worried about the same thing. Yeah, and you know, it's. I think unfortunately we've we've kind of pitted a lot of folks against each other and being the people being pro and people being anti. And really, we're, there's a lot of people who are just concerned, right? And so it's important to just kind of break down those walls and just hear people's concerns. And people that are concerned hear what the evidence is, is showing us so that we can make a decision that's best for, for everyone, um, right, that makes everyone comfortable with that situation. But congrats on the grandbaby. 
Um, Thank you. You know, got a little, little while. Took a long time. She's 37, and <laughs> they had never uh, sought any medical help, and they've been married a little less than five years. So I'm so thrilled about it, but I, I want everything to go safely. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you guys, and um, congrats on the baby, and thanks for giving us a call today. All right. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. All right. Is Victoria still holding for us? She's on the line. Go ahead, Victoria. You're on the air with Dr. Josie. Okay, thank you. Hi, Victoria. What can I do for you today? Hey, okay. So I have a quick question about the vaccine that is kind of along the lines of Donna's question. Um, I'm 19. I'm fully vaccinated. And after I got the vaccine, I had a lot of friends who reached out to me because they were concerned about the vaccine and how it may affect my fertility or ability to have kids in the future. Um, right. And I know that it doesn't have any effect on that, but what is some information that I can share with my friends to reassure them that they can get the vaccine and it won't have any effect on their fertility or ability to have kids, kids in the future? Absolutely. Great question. One we hear very, very frequently. And the way this whole thing started was mm-hmm. um, there is a, a kind of commonality, and I don't even want to use the word commonality, but something that was similar to a component of the placenta. And so there was this, this kind of rumor that went out on social media that the vaccine would attack the placenta and make you miscarry and keep you from being fertile and all these different kinds of things. And so I'm lucky enough to be married to a scientist. So I said, here, debunk this for me, right? Or prove it, right? You know, like, right. tell me, tell me what the heck is going on here. And he pulled the sequences of both of these things and kind of, kind of, he had to, to dumb it down for me a little bit because that, that was some super in-depth chemistry that he was doing. But there, there really was no um, similarity enough to actually to do anything. So unfortunately, it was just kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a incorrect bit of information that went out or something that people were just needed to look into further and it just gained kind of traction and continued to grow there. Um, so there has been no, you know, really link proven between, you know, any type of um, detrimental outcome to the baby that's growing or to decreasing any type of fertility in the future. It's just not, it's not there in the mechanism of the vaccine. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't know where the misinformation necessarily came from, and <laughs> yeah. that was kind of my issue when it came to answering that question. I knew it had yeah. to come from somewhere, but I wasn't sure where it originally came from. Yeah. So thank you. That was super helpful. You're welcome. And um, like I mentioned to Donna, the um, American Society for Reproductive Medicine just put out a. You know, they're the one. They're the fertility specialists, right? They just put out um, some information as well. So there may be some kind of talking points that they have out there as well. Um, for kind of answering some of those questions when, uh, you know, when somebody asks you one of those kinds of things. So that's probably a good place to check as well. It's a busy day on the phone lines, Josie, just the way we like it. (laughs) (laughs) Hot topic. That's right. We're going to go next to Dixie from Savannah, Tennessee. All right. Good morning, Dixie. Well, hello. Hey. Where is Savannah, Tennessee? Well, it's just uh, a little north. uh, Let's see north of Corinth, you know. Oh, okay. It's, it's not so, but it's about not from, maybe 30 yeah. or 40 miles from, from Corinth, Mississippi. So. All right. Well, what can we do for you today? Well, 
I haven't heard any of the symptoms of this new uh, strain, you know, the Delta strain. They talk about it, but they don't give us any symptoms to, to watch out for. I think I may have had the symptoms back in 2020, uh, in January, when it just first started. I, I came down with what I thought was a cold. And then I got a sore throat, and it went down into my bronchioles, and that's when mm-hmm. I went to the doctor, and they just gave me some antibiotic. But I was sick mm-hmm. for about a month, really, mm-hmm. trying to get over They didn't it. test you and for COVID? Not at that time, no. Okay. They didn't. Okay. okay. Now, okay. later on, I, I'm 86 years old, and I'm doing fine for my age, I think. But I do teach piano and voice, and I had a student who was here, and she told me one day when she was here, she had had a test, but she hadn't heard from it. And when she did hear from it, she was positive. Mm. And okay. so I went then to get checked, and I was not, I was negative. Okay. But, okay. you know. Well, you, but you I, asked a great, a great question because I had it on my list to make sure that we talked about today and what are the symptoms, right? And so there yes. are kind of common symptoms among all the strains right? And that's respiratory symptoms, right? You know, so um, cough, um, scratchy throat, sore throat, um, with the kind of alpha and beta strains we saw, and the original strain, a lot of um, loss of smell and taste. Those have been kind of the most kind of talked about and publicized. And and all of those are still in play with um, the Delta variant. Those are are the same. Um, But we are seeing less people reporting that loss of taste and smell. So it's really an important thing for folks to, to realize that right now, if you're having any kind of respiratory symptoms, runny nose, stuffy nose, congestion, sore throat, cough, that it is a high likelihood that it could be COVID. Um, so you really well, should, you know, quarantine and test at, at that point in time. That's what I had, you know, when I, mm-hmm. When I had that problem going on in January of 2020, and uh, I had just gone for my wellness checkup to uh, a clinic here that I go to, and a week later I came down with this, and I probably caught it there. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we were not doing anything to avoid it. But I have had both of my vaccines now, and uh, but you know one of the reasons I think I had it. I do have all of those leftover symptoms of mm-hmm. I, I still don't have my taste or my smell, and I've mm-hmm. lost a lot of my hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I really did have it. So but every sorry. time I've, I've, I've been te- tested twice and it was negative. So mm-hmm. I guess my uh, immune system has been really good. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, so don't keep yeah. doing those things to stay protected, okay? Um, still be very That's cautious. Right. All right. I'm going to. I'm going to wear my mask still when I go in public, and and I haven't even been going to church because of it. I I just listen to something, you know. It's home, very. So. It's very hard. It, it is. It's. It's very hard. Yeah. First time I've ever missed church in my life, really. I know. I know. I know. Now we have church on the couch, is what we do at my house. So right. Yeah. Um, you know, That's why. It's. It's different, but we, you know, we still, still doing it. Yeah. All right, Dixie, stay right. safe, okay. Well, thank you for taking my message and and everything. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for giving us a call.
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're going to go straight on over to those phone lines because I know we have a couple of folks waiting to talk with us today. I believe Sue in Beaumont is up first. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. What can I do for you today? I want to ask you a question. I want to get, put your scientist husband to this. To this. <laughs> why, why has it? Why has I've often wondered why have the the scientists and everybody who's trying to combat this virus tried to get serum from people who have been who had it and now supposedly immune to it. Take that virus, take that immunity serum and make some kind of. A, something you can inject into somebody else to confer immunity, like transfer immunity to someone else. Why Why has that been tried? Well, convalescent, convalescent plasma is utilized. Um, so that is plasma from folks who have recovered from COVID-19, and that is infused into folks who are currently hospitalized for COVID-19. So that therapy is out there. Is that there already? Yes, ma'am. Why don't we ever hear anything about that? Well, because it's used in the hospital. So... You would hear about it if you were inpatient in the hospital. It's not administered. But, but it, it's not like you could give it to somebody before they show show, show symptoms. Like, like Ah, gotcha. No, ma'am. So, and actually, we just got a health alert today. Um, so, and I have not had a chance to read it because it literally came across my email uh, while I was on the air. And it just popped up. Anytime I see a health alert pop up, I open, make sure the world's not coming to an end or something. But um, <laughs> one of the... Um, one of the therapies that we have used, one of the monoclonal antibody therapies, that is one of the outpatient infusions that we give, um, has apparently just been authorized for emergency use for prophylaxis for certain individuals, which I've, you know, again, I have not read all the details. I would imagine that's going to be folks who are um, very, very high risk for severe development, but this would be folks who had been exposed and then would get this infusion to hopefully prevent infection or prevent or de- decrease the severity of that but more information to come on that once i get i'm able to read through um okay. read through all that all right thank you thank you all right and beth and i forgot where beth is from but good morning beth hello first hey. for this discussion today i think it's very important good. and my question is i believe that pfizer is seeking approval from the CDC for their booster to be, you know, available and used right. in the United States. All right, I had right. the Moderna vaccine mm-hmm. previously. So if this Pfizer booster is approved, can I have it? 
since I've had Moderna, or do I have to wait for the Moderna to come out with one? And I think that's one of the questions that's still kind of on the table. And so I haven't seen a definitive answer to that yet. Um, I know that in some of the other countries, there have been like mixing of vaccines, like people got the first one for Moderna and the second one for mm-hmm. Pfizer without really, you know, any issue arising from that because the, they're, they're very, very, very similar. Um, so it may be that, that the emergency use extends for, you know, anybody that, that got Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. We just have not gotten that official word on that yet. So I can't say for, for certain yeah. what the process is going to be for that. We'll just have to wait. Yeah. Yep. Just got to Got to hurry up and wait. That's what my yeah, mom and tell me. Just hurry up and wait. <laughs> when I got the Moderna, I looked at the data on it, and actually, mm-hmm. I saw that Pfizer was more effective for people over 65 than the Moderna, as far as percentage. I don't know. There was a little bit of a difference there. So yeah, a point or two difference. And you know, those are our clinical trial data, and right. what we've got now is, of course, we're uh, real world data. Um, and so, you know, how how this is kind of fleshing itself out with folks who have you know, impaired immune systems and are getting repeated exposures to this, whether that be household contacts or mm-hmm. from you know, hazards of the job or, or what it but the, the great thing is that both of them are standing up very, very well against severe yeah. disease and against hospitalizations. You know, it, it just makes me feel safer. Yeah. Now that the Delta's here, I'm still careful. Yeah. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to do what the CDC recommends because I'm a rule player. But that the fact <laughs> that I have this vaccine makes me feel so much safer this time around. Yeah, well, it's just an extra layer of protection, right? We call it the Swiss cheese model, right? Because there are any strategy, there are going to be ways to, to slip through a hole, right, in that mitigation strategy. But when you line up multiple layers of protection, then it's very, very hard for, you know, something to get through all five or six of those. You know, doesn't say it doesn't happen, but it dramatically decreases the risk. Right. Very good. Okay. Thank you, Josie. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Josie, we had uh, one other caller that uh, couldn't stay on the line but did leave a little bit of a message. Okay. Uh, and she's saying that uh, she go, she's concerned about her grandmother, her, uh, who lives with the family, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, she's concerned about the church that they go to. There appears to be singing, uh, no masks uh, in, uh, in use, no social mm-hmm. distancing, that sort of thing. And obviously a little mm-hmm. concerned about the safety. Uh, mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Maybe go to someone at the church and, and express concerns. Maybe church on the couch, as we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's concerning as well, right? Because... If we're, if we're looking at the risks, right, we're indoors, right, we're older, we're not masking, and we are increasing the amount of droplets when we sing, right? We're not only just sitting quietly next to someone, we are forcefully expelling our spit. And so it's just going to, to travel farther, and depending on, you know, what the ventilation is like in that area, it's just, it's a, it's a recipe for not not being good right and so um you know if you're kind of set on going then you know protect yourself as much as you can by wearing your mask and you know trying to stay away from folks as much as you can but talking to your leadership in the church right i don't know how big your church is um you know, some churches have just one pastor some churches have discipleship pastors and head pastors and you know youth pastors and all this kind of thing um, if there's one that you feel comfortable kind of voicing your concerns to or, or going directly to the lead pastor to, to discuss your concerns with that. And if you feel, still don't feel safe, then, you know, couch church, it, it, couch church counts, 
right? Um, wherever two people gather together in his name, there he is as well. Um, so, you know, that's what, that's what the Bidwell family has been doing there. So it's a great question um, and a hard choice. I know it's, these are not easy choices and I don't want to, to act like these are, are easy things to, to do, um, but they are the right things to do. Um, so in just the last, just few little seconds of the show, um, I do want to make sure that if you are waiting on the results of your test, because one of the prior callers said that one of her piano students or something like that was, um, had been tested and were waiting on their results, they never should have gone to that uh, piano lesson, okay? If you are waiting on the results of a test, or waiting to get your test performed, you should be quarantining, okay? You should assume that you are positive until you receive that negative result, right? Do not put others at risk. If you have, if you have symptoms or if you have been exposed and you are waiting on a test or waiting on a test result, please, please, please quarantine and wait until you get those results back before you, um, before you spread it to somebody who may not do as well with it. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.